Hey there, everyone. This is Dan Fagella here with the Tech Emergence Podcast, where we look at the domain of technology and its intersection with psychology. We've honed in a good deal about some ethical considerations for the future of humanity with folks like Nick Bostrom and Aubrey de Grey. And today I'm lucky enough to have one of the more famous TED speakers in the futurism uh, domain, who was also the founding director of the Life Sciences Project at Harvard Business School, is currently managing director of Excel Venture Management here in the Boston area, and recent and author of the recent book, Evolving Ourselves, none other than Juan Enriquez. Juan, how are you? I'm great. Cool. Very good. I'm glad to have you on. You know, I wanted to hone in on some topics that were brought up in the book itself. I was lucky enough to get myself a, an early copy here. And I know that one of the, the areas that you hone in on and, and points that you bring to the fore is the progress we're already making towards sort of expanding ourselves beyond human potential. In, in terms of the frontiers where you see that most evident today um, across uh, life sciences and, and beyond in terms of our, our progress and kind of tinkering with the human, where do you see the, the greatest evidence thereof? So one of the ways you can you can think about this is if you somehow were able to bring Darwin back to life and drop him in the middle of Trafalgar Square, <laughs> and he took out his notebook and he started observing, what, what he'd see is almost what looks like a different species. So people are much bigger. There's about 1.5 billion obese people, and whereas the problem used to be widespread malnutrition, which you still have malnutrition, the broader problem today, even in countries like Mexico, is obesity. The second thing you notice is people are much taller. There's many more older people. They seem to have all their teeth. <laughs> they seem to have few wrinkles. They seem to be able to run marathons at age 70. Um, so there's a whole series of morphologies that are just different about our bodies, but a little bit like that frog that you know, you'd boil instead of putting in boiling water, we, we don't notice it. We don't notice we've doubled the lifespan of humans in the last century. We don't notice how much more information is coming into our brains in a single day versus what used to come in in a lifetime. Yeah. So almost across every part of humanity, there have been huge changes. And in terms of, and I, I recognize that analogy from your book itself, we're obviously going into a bit more detail. In terms of... Um, in terms of the, the, the scientific frontiers, whether it be genetic or, or nanotech or biotech or otherwise, um, where, where you see us sort of making tidbits of progress in, in guiding that evolution, I, I think it's an apt analogy, clearly the malnutrition to now obesity, etc. In terms of you know, tinkering with the human a bit in, in, in technology today, I know you brought up uh, reproductive concerns and things along those lines, where in science... Um, Outside of lifestyle and, and, and life extension, just, just from, from uh, our you know, safer conditions, etc., where do you see that progress being made now in, in ways that, that clicks with sort of the layman? So what, what used to determine what lives and dies used to be natural selection, where you were in the food chain and how the food chain treated you, <laughs> and random mutation. So you had a genetic casino with genes and those random gene mutations that led to some advantage kept getting passed on down generations yeah. and became part of the species. Today what we're doing that's very different from what we used to do is we're moving towards intelligent design. So we want to insert a gene into this kind of yogurt to make it taste like this and have these properties. We want to put this into beer so that the beer does this and 
taste like this and last this long. Yeah. We want to put this gene into a plant so it's salt tolerant or drought tolerant or grows in a different place. We want to put this into an animal so it becomes bigger or smaller or more tender or more this or more that. And, and now we're getting to the stage where we're beginning to tinker with humans because we want to insert this gene so this person doesn't get a deadly disease. Mm -hmm. We want to insert this gene so that maybe the person performs better on 8,000 meter peak climbing or in sports or in beauty or in different characteristics. And, and those are questions that we never used to have to face before because there was one way of having sex and now there's at least 17. Yeah, geez. Well, in, in, that, in that way, we're in a more interesting uh, world today, for sure. Um, and and the, the casino element being uh, no longer having its its complete dominance over, over what goes on in terms of the passing of genes. Uh, in the coming 10 years or so, I think right now, as you had mentioned, we're beginning to tinker with humans. And that's happening in a number of domains, I mean, genetic and brain-machine interface and, and, uh, and, and other kind of technological frontiers. Um, most of it is not a, of huge concern today. In other words, like the, the UN doesn't have a large swath of their conversations, as, as far as I know, uh, that are honed in around um, genetically making people smarter and whether or not that's good. Or, or you know, I'm, I'm sure they have some degree of that, but it's certainly not as much to the fore, uh, to the layman, or, or maybe even to, to, to uh, politics, as maybe it will be in the coming decades. Which of these ethical considerations and which maybe technological domains of progress do you see being taken the most seriously in the coming decade as we start to make those more serious considerations about what is legal for enhancing uh, intelligence? What is legal for um, you know, hedging against disease, which I think is a more than reasonable concern for any parent, and that's not even enhancement. Um, you know, which which considerations do you think in the coming decade or so are going to you know, be forced to be taken seriously as they roll forth into humanity? I think you have to separate reality from fiction. And the, the ability to insert a gene or two uh, and really modify the intelligence of human beings I think is highly unlikely in the next decade, two decades, uh, simply because there have been massive studies in China, and we haven't yet identified genes correlated to intelligence, even though we believe that intelligence has a significant inherited capacity. There, there are other short-term realities, such as what went on in the UK this year, where there was a question, do we insert gene code into a fertilized egg hmm. to cure a deadly disease. And that is a real question because it would avoid these babies from dying early from horrendous diseases. But the consequence of that are that for the first time, probably in the next year, you'll have the first child born to three genetic parents. And the answer after a lot of debate in the science societies and the parliament of the UK was yes, go ahead and do this. Um, what we're going to find is there's a continuum of relatively simple fixes where you can insert a gene and have a direct output, for instance, on a disease like cystic fibrosis, you can see a path towards correcting that because it's a single gene, in fact, a single letter defect. 
And then there's much more complex stuff like intelligence and emotion and a whole series of other things. We are a long way away from that. Now on how do you begin to debate this and how do you regulate it, one of the things we did with the Bender group when we built the first synthetic genome is we spent a long time talking to the world's main religions. We spent a long time talking to security agencies. We spent a long time talking to policymakers and saying, look, if we make a programmable cell, what are the implications of this? What are the uses of this? Because you don't do something of that order of magnitude and just spring it on the world and say, surprise. You get people involved in the debate early, you think about the ethics carefully, you think about the implications of it carefully in a whole series of domains. Um, And if you don't do that, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. Yeah, or, or get humanity into a lot of trouble potentially. I mean, depending on what we uh, we remove from from the uh, the black box. Um, and I, I do want to get into that sort of global conversation uh, aspect uh, during our brief interview here today as well, because I see that as massively important for a variety of technologies. So, in, in terms of the coming decades, uh, on your end, any tangible messing about with intelligence itself probably highly unlikely in the coming decades. In terms of those elements of human tinkering that you do believe maybe will get even more play in the parliament, in the UN, and, and elsewhere in the coming decade or two. Um, you had mentioned the treatment of individual diseases. Do you see that to be where most of the serious ethical consideration on a, on a grand and, and governmental and policy scale sort of resides when it comes to tinkering with, with personhood? Um, do you see other technologies other than individual disease treatments sort of creeping in there in the coming decades, potentially, given sort of their, their trajectory and progress? Um, what else might, might sort of hit on the Richter scale? So there's a series of interesting questions having to do with things like athletic performance. Mm. If, if you don't have an ACE gene, it is unlikely you're going to climb Mount Everest without oxygen. If you don't have a couple of other particular genes, it's unlikely you're going to be competitive at an Olympic level in power sports. And, and that leads to some interesting and complicated dilemmas. Do we want the Olympics in three or four iterations from now to only be a showcase for hardworking mutants? Do we want the Olympics to work like sailing or golf, where if you have this gene and this group over here doesn't have this gene, then the other group gets a tenth of a second head start so that they can compete on an equal basis. Or, if it is safe and practical, um, should people be allowed to upgrade with naturally occurring genes? And and those are three very different ways of thinking about competition head-to-head, about what we do with knowledge of genes, with what we do with knowledge of beauty. You know, there's a specific gene for blue eyes. Should people be allowed to upgrade to blue eyes if it is safe and practical? Uh, These are all questions that, you know, our grandchildren are probably going to take for granted, uh, but which at this point still kind of seem head scratchers to us. Yeah. So so, um, anything from, as you had mentioned, beauty, our capacity of our of our lungs and our body at, at higher altitudes, individual athletic endeavors, uh, and and maybe and maybe more and more as we start to discover the the connectedness of varied genes, and, and we 
expand to other traits, qualities, tendencies, diseases, etc. Um, and, and to your point, not all of it is amelioration, but some of it is about are we allowed to step things up to the next level, whether it be athletic or otherwise. You know, if somebody's going to be a, you know, if, if, if we are still to have, you know, human firefighters in the coming decade, which seems more than reasonable, you know, the, those, uh, those uh, DARPA bots are pretty cool, but, but I don't think they're going to cut the mustard anytime uh, soon all the way. Um, you know, would it make sense for those guys to be pretty darn strong? You know, you got to start lifting people. You got to take them out of buildings. The things are on freaking fire, man. I mean, the, the guy's got to, guys got to get out of there. Um, you know, does it make sense for those folks? You know, are we almost impelled to ensure that they have as good an advantage with their lung capacity and with their, their strength as possible? Um, do you see those, those considerations of, of, of enhancement, not just amelioration. I think amelioration is actually a much easier conversation. Most people are just fine with going from negative two to back to zero or negative three back to zero, but going to plus two, I think is a grander Pandora's box. Um, do you see some of those hitting the four outside of athletics and just powerlifting, but just to other domains? You know, should we be able to enhance humans? So let me take that short term and long term. Sure. So short term, I think after we have discussions on this thing, I don't think it should be band-aided. I don't think you should have to change your genetics to be a firefighter. I do think as long as it is safe and reasonably easy to do that people should have options as they go forward to enhance or not enhance in different domains yeah. and I think that's an individual choice I don't think it's a mandated choice long term one of the things we know is that life on this planet periodically goes extinct so we've had at least five major extinctions and you know, maybe you think they're caused by supervolcanoes or asteroids or warming or cooling or methane gas or whatever you think. The facts are there that we've had at least five major extinctions. And if that's true, it's very likely we're going to have a sixth. And as the Astronomer Royal of Great Britain says, it's a very different order of magnitude if 80% of humanity goes extinct than if 100% of humanity goes extinct. Yeah. So one of the things you do have to do is you do have to begin to get human beings off this planet. And the problem is, under a Darwinian system, there's no way that evolutionary pressures are going to adapt your body in any reasonable time frame to live in a different gravity, to live with different radiation, to live much, much longer, which you'd have to do to be able to practically travel across space, yeah. and maybe to adapt to a different atmosphere. So the only way we do that is through deliberate human engineering. Um, and therefore, if you want a long-term survival for humanity, you're, you're going to want a, um, a humanity that begins to learn the basic rules of redesigning itself. So that's a little bit of the, the bigger picture. And, and uh, hedging the bets of, of Earth being our, our only fortress here, it's it's more it's not just a consideration of transport, but it's a consideration of adaptedness to those new conditions, and that, in your opinion, that will uh, maybe more than anything else, if it's required, I mean, really force us to get a good understanding of how to do the deliberate designing thing at a grander scale than just avoiding you know scoliosis. So, so the reason why this concept of evolving ourselves is so important is first because we're the first and only species on Earth that 
has taken control over the pattern of evolution of what lives and dies to such an extent. And we've done so deliberately. So we can now decide, I want this species of cat to live. I want this species of corn to live. And so for half the surface of Earth, we decide what lives and dies in our gardens, in our cities, in our cornfields, in our rural environments. The second reason why it's so important is because it gives us an instrument for the very survival of our species in the long term. And boy, there's a lot of ethical and moral quandaries that go with that. There's a lot of absolutely essential questions. What is humanity? Where do we want to take it? What is life? Where do we want to take it? But my co-author Steve Gullins and I tend to be optimistic curmudgeons on this whole topic. It's, it's, it's easy to project a dystopic future and say everything's going to go to hell. Trans yeah, 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 yeah. Terminator. I don't think so. Yeah. Got it. Well, and, and I think uh, to, uh, and, and, you know, I don't know how much you'd agree with everything else he's ever said, but I think uh, Peter Diamandis had brought up at a 2045 conference, I don't remember his entire talk, but he had mentioned something about how um, you know, although we do need some some reasonable considerations about our future, if there aren't any folks who are uh, legitimate optimists about where we're taking ourselves, maybe we won't be painting the right mental pictures of where we could go that would look good, that would uh, be aggregately better, and I think that that is important. In terms of my last question, I'll make this short as well. Um, you had brought this up briefly about when, when you had uh, created the, the technology that you guys had made there at, uh, at Excel Venture Management. Um, that you had spoken, interestingly enough, and I did not know this, with the folks higher up in major religions, uh, with governments and things along those lines. Um, my question is, as we start to move forward in genetic enhancement, potentially integrating uh, you know, technology with ourselves in, in, in various and sundry fashions, and, and again, tinkering, as we've been saying, with the human, there's going to be so many different political perspectives, social perspectives, uh, national borders, how might we, if we do want to hedge our bets, if we do want to see ourselves as the same on the same human team and be optimistic about building an aggregately better beneficial future together, how do we move forward towards what that future might be um, without you know destroying ourselves and creating so much more conflict in the process? Look, I think we've we've become a much more domesticated species. I agree. You know, we're far less likely to murder each other than we were. 50 years ago, or 100 years ago, or 200 years ago, or 500 years ago. We have learned how to live together in absolutely massive cities. We, I think, have become far more tolerant of other religions, of other races, and of course there are exceptions to this, there are places where this hasn't happened, but on the whole, life has gotten a whole lot better over the last two, 300 years than it yeah. used to be. Yeah. And as you're looking at that, I think we will have the tolerance for different choices made with these very powerful instruments. And I think that's a good thing. I think it will be good to have more diversity in the human species. And in terms of collaborating and bringing together multiple perspectives, just to get an idea of what you had done there with your technology as we wrap, um, you had brought in folks from the religious sphere as well as governments and, and elsewhere why was that important, and what were you aiming to do? I'm thinking that maybe this will be an interesting lens for other technologists, entrepreneurs, innovators to maybe consider for themselves, because I, I resonate with it deeply. But speak a little bit to why you had gone about that. Because there are people who have 
absolutely fundamental beliefs and they look at the world first through that lens and then through a series of other lenses. And, and when you approach certain questions or arguments first through the factual lens or through the technology lens and you don't understand how some folks view the world and you don't take the time to listen to them, you can end up in situations of conflict that are just horrendous. And, and there really isn't a need for that. I think reasonable people can disagree as long as you take the time to understand the other person's viewpoint. So, for instance, when we discuss evolution, sometimes we do it in places where people don't believe in evolution. Yep. And as long as you come in and say, look, let me just see if I understand your viewpoint. It's this and this and this and this. Now let me tell you why you have to understand mine, because it's going to be very hard for your kids to talk to people like us or to get jobs in places where we are relevant, which is in agriculture and chemicals and information storage and a whole series of other places, if they at least don't understand my viewpoint. I don't necessarily want to change how you think about the world, but I want you to understand how I think about it, just in the same way as I've taken the time to try and understand how you think about it. And, and it's that basis of mutual respect that I think is going to lead to less conflict. I agree, and I think that we've done better and better with that in terms of racial and religious and sexual tolerances, and, and that if that can be carried forth, you know, there will be real times where it's like, hey, look, we're either going to make this legal to do this with brains or we're going to make it illegal one or the other, but I think so long as we're coming from that grounded place of mutual understanding and respect, and we can stay there, you know, I think that the, the poles of this is great or this is evil are very strong and they're unthinking, but I think if we can stay there in a place of reason and objectivity, I'm, I'm certainly hoping it'll lead for a better future as well. Um, if people want to learn more about you, Juan, I know our, our time is up here, but if, if people want to learn more about yourself, your recent publication, um, where would they go online to find you? So, we just published a book called Evolving Ourselves, and it deals with where evolution and life on Earth is going. And that is available hardcover, um, any type of electronic and voice. And then I tweet at Evolving Juan, that's Evolving J-U-A-N. Yep. Um, and then we have a website for the book, Evolving Ourselves. Not a thing. All right. You heard it from the man himself. Juan, thank you very much for being here today on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thank you so much, Dan. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, then be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there, whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Uh, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, 
This is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>